I get like I like the creativity of it. Like you can bring something from your imagination and make it real somehow. For me, with games, I like working with our artists on our team. So like, because I can't make art, and they can't necessarily do the things they want to do with the art that they create on their own. But I can take their art and like implement their vision, and that's rewarding to me as well. So building your own, your own style, and also taking somebody else's and bringing that to reality as well. I feel like for me, it's not necessarily artistic, as it is. It's more creative. It's like a craft, and for the artists, I'm just enabling them. But I get to feel like I helped create that art. So you're just taking what they have drawn and then bringing it to life? Yeah, if we're talking about like game art and UI, which is what a lot of what I do is just UI design, but that's art in its own. Um, like just, yeah, taking images that they give me. And lots of times they'll design like our main designer will come up with a UI and he'll maybe even do some animations in another program, but not like in, they wouldn't work in the game the way he, the way he can create them. He can't put them directly in the game without some help from me. So I do the code part that, and that's back and forth. So okay. you're working pretty closely with the image designer. Oftentimes. Yeah. And when you say UI, you mean use a user Sorry, interface? Yeah, user interface. So is that just a menu or what is that? Menus, like in-game menus, like it'll be like a main menu to get you into the game and just like title screen and stuff. You know, that is a big part of making a game is actually just the menus and UI and everything around the gameplay is probably a lot more than most people think. Um so yeah, I would do I do a lot of that, just implementing UI, like even like the shop if you're gonna buy an in-app purchase and like buy coins or something. That all has to be designed and then it has to be implemented by a programmer. And it takes a lot longer than you would think. Like a lot of times you just building you're building UI around the game for like months after the game is essentially done. So the game's complete, it, you can play it, but you can't shop and it's tough to access menus? Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing you do is create the gameplay. At least this is how we do it, anyway. Like, what you would think of as the game is probably the first thing that's mostly done. And then, like, all the stuff that makes it into a commercial product has to be added on after the main parts are pretty much finished. How do you know what you need to add? There's basic things that just every game needs. Like you have to load in to something at first and like maybe not every game, but the standard thing, you load up a title screen. I don't know how many games you play. Like you'll see it. Title screen with options on how to play it, right? Right? Yeah, you multiplayer. Need that. If you have multiplayer or single player or you're like upgrading your character if skins or whatever, all those things have to be implemented somehow so you can interact with it and customize a game or play different modes 
And there's complications involved in just the menu system or selecting things. It's not necessarily always that complicated, but it's there's always work there. And in games, a lot of it is about just making it feel fun or fit the theme of the game. So it's not... I haven't done a lot of non-game programming, but I, I don't... I feel like if you are just doing a standard like app, the productivity app or something, it doesn't, it can just use like system UI. That's like your standard iOS button or whatever. But we like skin everything. It's not even just skinning. Like we'll write our own stuff just so we can animate it differently or like give it that feel of the game. And oftentimes the, like I'm just there from a UI standpoint, I'm just there to give the designer what he wants. And they they don't necessarily even know what's easier or hard for us. And usually I try to do what whatever they ask for, whether it's the hard way or the easy way. So what's something difficult to do that I, that they would ask you to do? Oh, man, that's a good question. How, they might animate something like the way you click a button that's like special and then it maybe like we'll do one animation and then move to another thing or like they'll keep keeping elements from the scene around and like like just things that wouldn't happen in like a normal app where like say you have like two tabs you're switching between and just will like show you everything from one tab and maybe it'll animate in another tab but it'll kind of just like do some pop in animation and like everything will switch if my designer gave me a ui where there's like your characters on the screen and there's some content there and then you have a button to switch to another like content tab but keep the character around and kind of like animate all the trees in the background of and animate new ones back in or something like that like that's not there's no built-in way to do that right like that's going to be custom so you have to reanimate that character on the next tab. Well, I mean, it's just complex. It it's different no matter in whatever game engine you're using. Like there's, we're not just building everything from absolute scratch. Like we're not writing machine code or assembly, but we use different game engines that will give you basic functionality to like move things around and reference game objects, even buttons and like UI stuff. But you you always have to customize it somewhat to your game just trying to keep people still immersed by everything on the menu being close to the theme yeah just like making it feel like it's in the game right and that's why it takes so long because you could you can also kind of have maybe a standard game ui that you use that just has like you know pause and all the buttons just pop up and it's a list and like you can kind of theme it to your game and that's there's nothing wrong with that there's games that do that a lot too but like to really get that feeling of when you're in the menu ui like doing the metagame stuff customizing your character or like customizing the look of your character or upgrading different stats and whatever you want it to still feel like you're playing the game that's kind of how we at Noodle Cake, which is my company, 
we try to like polish everything up that way. So it's still fun and has that feel of that, whatever feel we're going for in the game, in the menus as well. So even though they're just selecting their, their character and they're getting the attributes, you want it to feel as if right now you're playing the game. Yeah. I mean, you spend a lot of time there, maybe not, hopefully not as much as you do in the like gameplay scene, we'd call it, but you do spend a lot of time there in in most games, I think. Yeah. How many games do you play? What kind of games do you play? Not not many. Not many. I just started. I played Breath of the Wild and yeah. Hades. I haven't played either one of those games. Oh, you're missing out. I'm sure I am. Yeah. Since you've learned been learning like, from day one, what's something yeah. that you've kept with you? As a programmer, as and maybe specifically well, I actually think it's a general programming thing is like getting the simplest version of whatever you're working on done first and like just assume you're not going to need the more complex thing or the more flexible version is usually the right way to go like just build the quickest fastest dirtiest way and sometimes that's enough and you never have to go back so you start off as simple as possible i usually try to do like the the least effort minimum version of whatever I'm trying to create and like hard code things, numbers, names, like whatever, like data that goes in there that maybe it like should be flexible, but just to see that first version of it work as fast as possible, it's usually a good idea to start and just not make it fancy at all. So and then go a, back and add that in later if you need it. Oh, if you need it. Yeah. How often have you found that you actually need to add more to it? Not very often. <laughs> Depends what you do. Like some, there's certain parts of like certain things you'll do for games will be reusable. Like, like I've been talking about a lot about doing the, the user interface. Some of that stuff you can spend, it's worth it to spend time to make it a little bit more reusable. Like giving you the example of like different tabs and stuff. You might have an animation for like keeping the character around and animating things around them. Like that stuff, I would still implement that like as a one-off thing that only works in like the one case that I need at the moment. I would start that way, but Things like that, especially even within the same game, you'll like maybe reuse that. So it's worth it to go back and make it a little bit more flexible and generic. But a lot of times you can get away with just doing the cheap and easy and fast way. And like maybe you never need to do that again, that kind of thing again in the game. So it doesn't have to work any other way. So you can just leave it. So you can just start with your concept and you found most of the time it just ends up that's all you need a lot of the time yeah i'm not saying i implant it perfectly the first time i'm just saying a lot of times you do the least amount of work that you need and you always think oh i need to add this extra feature because like that'll be useful later when i redo some other thing and a lot of times you don't need to do that like you never come back and reuse it or yeah, I have so many things that I've implemented like over the years where, well, as you're building it, you think to yourself that 
I'll make this generic because maybe I'll want this button to like have a different shine on it or like the background will be different size or something. Like a lot of times you're just going to throw it away and like start over anyway, if you're going to do it anything that different or you might only ever use it in one place. So it's often not worth it. Nice. So it seems you don't dwell on the small stuff. Less and less. That's probably like you asked for my main takeaway. Over the years of programming, I dwell less and less on the details of implementing things and just try to get working first. Because you'll have, even it may not be that you don't need to change it. It may not, it may just be that it doesn't work at all. And like you have to do it a different way too. So you don't want to spend too much time on an idea. And then it's all ends up being for nothing because you figure out a better way to do it later. Or the design changes, you know, it's not always up to me. And when did you learn that along your career? I think I learned it multiple times over. Like you always think, I think a lot of programmers fall into this trap when I'm still subject to it. Like you always want to write like the perfect code. And like there is, there's this very satisfying feeling of like, writing something that you think is clean and maybe it's like you documented it all perfectly and the 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 API that application programming interface the way you've designed it and laid it out for for using it in your other code is like something you're proud of and it like you feels clean and like well done that that is very rewarding but you can spend a lot of time trying to get that and then usually it just as you keep actually using it it'll get worse and worse and it ends up being ugly or it just doesn't do what you wanted anyway so yeah. you're kind of spending less time organizing your kitchen and more time cooking yeah that's a very good way to put it <laughs> which is pro- i mean it's like a general life kind of i don't know life lesson yeah How's that transferred over to the non-programming world? I don't know how much it has. I probably could. I could probably learn from programming, but maybe I, I might be less of a perfectionist overall than I once was. It might just be part of getting older too. It's like <laughs> you have a little bit more experience of like how things actually work in the, in real life. Yeah, and what's more, what's worth it? What's worth your time? Yeah. How do you regulate? perfection versus getting it done in the when you're programming in, in programming and games specifically which is what i do there's so much more value to having something be done than being good at least the way that my company works like we make mobile games we don't make like huge like triple a projects with 200 people on them so it's usually sometimes two programmers sometimes you'll be the only person on a project for a little while so and at most maybe when we like really ramp up before launch it'll be like eight programmers on a game which isn't that many so you can get away with not having it really be nice code to work in and it's not like it sucks sometimes when you're working and like it's like spaghetti code and nothing really makes sense, but it kind of just is like duct taped together and it works. But like you can launch a game like that and that 
our oldest products are very much like that. They're just like duct tape and spit like, and they've been going for, you know, 10 years now and they've made money. They made a company, right? Cause so they, they just worked for what they, they needed. worked good enough to release and make money. So that's, that's all you need. Yeah. Some people kind of get caught up in the minutia of it then. You can definitely get caught up in trying to make like a perfect system that's extendable and easy to use and, you know, just does everything that you need and think you're making like a tool that will enable you to be more productive later. And it might, but also there's a trap on both sides. Like you, you can definitely build those kind of things that will make you more productive, but I tend to fall on the side of just getting something that works, even if it kind of sucks and getting it out the door. Yeah. And you can fix it if you need to. Yeah. I mean, you, we say that a lot too. <laughs> like, Oh, we'll go back and fix it if we need to. Right. One of the things that we say a lot of the time when we, you know, amongst ourselves are talking about potential issues with the game. Like, Oh, is it, you know, whatever we run a lot of our, our games are mostly multiplayer. So right now they are, we run stuff on like Google cloud servers, right? Like how many servers do we need? Is it going to be really expensive? Like, are we using a lot of compute instance CPUs and it'll cost us a lot to run the servers? That's a real question. And like bigger companies might do a lot of research into it and like figure it out. We don't like, well, we'll run like little tests and things and like, okay, it works. Like it'll, you know, we can do like back of the envelope math, but we don't worry about too much. It's more what we like to say is, well, it'll be a good problem, right? Like if, if our game is so popular that the server costs are getting out of hand, like that we can deal with it later. Like that's a, a great problem to have, yeah, but there's, yeah. and it's not worth worrying about if you want, like you worried about how much servers are going to cost. And you never launch the game because you're like optimizing the server costs, or you eventually do launch it. Your servers are like right on point. They're like super optimized, and the game sucks, and nobody plays it. Like <laughs> you waste it all that time, right? Yeah. So then, when you build a multiplayer game, you so the company has to pay for the servers. Yeah, I mean, there, there's different ways to do it, right? Like you can do. You could create a multiplayer game that's peer-to-peer. So like my computer connects to your computer or phone or Xbox or whatever. There's intricacies to getting that like peer-to-peer stuff working. So you don't necessarily need servers. But the the easiest way and for us, mobile games, we got to make money. So we want to control the servers anyway. That way we control um, your inventory and like your coins and stuff. Like we own that data and if you want to you can't cheat that way basically right like you can't crack the game and give yourself unlimited gold or like give you give yourself everything uh especially in we our main game right now golf blitz is like kind of a competitive multiplayer game like people are actually pretty serious about the leaderboard and you have to protect the integrity of it um or people aren't like 
you don't want to compete if you know that other people are just cheating or like submitting fraudulent scores, right? So for that reason, we all all of our servers are just we run them in the cloud and like we control them, so we know that you're not running a cracked version of the game. That makes it way cheating. better to play though, because everybody's on the level playing field. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the other things I get. Like there, that's probably something that the average player doesn't think about. Like yeah, that, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> server costs or yeah. Or the, yeah, like the fact that we need to worry about that. And it's for our own bottom line, right? Because if you could just get a version of the game off some sketchy website and give yourself all the content, all the upgrades and like, you know, currency and everything, and then play it online. Because if it was just peer to peer, there's no way to verify that you actually own the stuff that you're saying you own it then you could cheat and we wouldn't make money because we're not like, you're not buying, you're not actually buying the in-app purchases, the currency or the cosmetics from us. You're just giving it to yourself. So that's part of like, that's part of why it's valuable to create multiplayer games as well. Like if you can create that ecosystem where they, they're the incentive to be on like the official version is that you're actually competing, you know, on the real ladder, you we get the benefit of you having to buy our stuff. Like you can't, you can't really cheat unless you want to hack like Google cloud servers, which is possible too. Like people might be trying that, but it's way different than us letting you run on the, the your own phone. And basically then your phone will be the source of truth on what content you have on yeah, but on the server, then it kind of self-polices it. Yeah, all the transactions that you make in the game are going through our server, so we know, like, we can validate that you actually have enough currency to get that skin or, or whatever it is. Never thought of that. Cool. What else would a, a regular gamer not know? Well, multiplayer-wise, there is, like, kind of a crazy amount of work that goes into synchronizing the game state between like the two players, like so that, you know, we're looking at basically the same thing when we're playing together. And I know nothing really about how first person shooters do this, but like, it's probably kind of insane the way they do it. We do like we, our golf game, which is the one I've worked on most in the last probably five years. It's like a 2d game with simulated like cartoon it's very cartoony but so it's got 2d physics so you're just like hitting a ball and flying through there and like hitting bouncing off terrain and stuff and just synchronizing like where my ball is so that it shows on your screen in the right place and like we allow you like if two players are both shooting at the same time their balls can collide now and when you're playing you don't probably think about it but that's like really hard to get to work, <laughs> to work for both people. You know, like if, if I was just running it and hosting it on my phone and you connected to my phone, um, I would just be running the game on my phone and sending back to you like the positions of everything. And for me, it would look great. Cause my phone would be like, okay, I know exactly where my ball is. Cause I hit it this direction at this time. And I know where your ball should be in my game because I got the input. Like, you'll send me your input that you hit the ball, whatever. 
and it'll look great on my phone, and the collisions will work if the balls hit each other. But for you, you, there's a delay between when you hit the ball on your screen and when I get the like input packet over the internet. Dealing with that is very, very hard to do. So yeah, there's that lag between when I get the packet and you actually sent it. And then I have to run the game and send back to you what the game state is. So you have the round trip time of like yours, your data coming in, me simulating the game and send it back to you. And like I said, for me, it will look great if I'm running it on my phone. But for you to feel really bad because you'll swing, you'll hit your ball and you'll wait and maybe you won't see it. It depends on how big the lag is. And there's different ways to cover it up. But if we're just doing a very simple like peer-to-peer, I'm running the game on my phone, you're playing on your phone. It'll look great for me. You'll hit the ball and nothing will happen. And then it'll take like, it'll be a fraction of a second still because the internet is fast, but you'll notice it probably the round trip time between when you put the input in and your character hitting your ball and it's starting to fly around. Right? So that is not a good experience for you because things will happen that you didn't intend to. And then, so the way to fix that is to one way, the way we do it is we run it in the server on like a cloud server. So it's not running on my phone or your phone. There's an authoritative server up in the cloud. And it, you both you guys are sending inputs to that server. It's running them and sending them back. You still have the same problem though, where like if I hit the ball on my phone, there'll be a delay before, between what the server does, but at least it'll be equally bad for both of us uh, and not like perfect for me. And uh, like peer to peer, the host always has the advantage if they're the, the authority. If you put the authority in the cloud, at least everyone's more on a level playing field because whatever happens like in the cloud server is what's actually happening and you'll get back what is actually happening. The way we cover up that input delay in our game is we actually simulate the game on each device that's connected to the cloud. So like my game will run and like assume that my ball, when I hit it, went where I said it was going to go. And yours will run and assume that as well and simulate. So we're, we're running three simulations of the game for two-person game, right? The cloud server is running it, which is the authoritative version. You have your version of what you think is happening, and I have my version of what I think is happening. And as long as the server is running a little bit behind, so this is, I know this is getting complicated. Not at all. But, okay. The server is running behind, right? So it's there's lag between when I send my input up and you send it up and the server gets it, but it will just like, it's running a little bit behind. And if nothing conflicts between what our two simulations are doing in the server, everything's good, right? Like it's perfect for everybody. And all you have to do then is like the collisions are tough because if something happened where I, I don't have your input yet, right? And the server doesn't have it yet. So you might think you hit a certain arc but really it hit like you hit the ball slightly later. So it's in a slightly different position. And because of that, it actually 
hits my ball on the server when you would have like soared over me on your phone. Then we have to correct that. So the server will send back game state. So you're predicting your game state. I'm predicting my game state. And as long as like nothing too crazy happens, it'll be perfect. But there might be a case where there's like a missed input or a late input just because the server didn't get our inputs at the same time as we actually had them in our simulation, things will happen differently. And then what the server is doing is sending both of us the authoritative state every time and we just check it. So like I assume my input and everything, my prediction is correct. And, but I check it every time the server sends me back a packet. So you'll get a, a simulation frame a few, like maybe a half a second behind when it, happened or when you displayed it locally and like oh actually our balls collided in that frame and i didn't think that then what you do on like on the local device i gotta rewind my prediction so i like go back to that frame like all right this is what the server says actually happened i was wrong about my prediction then you run forward from there again back to where you are in time so it's, it's that's like just two balls colliding in 2D space, it can be pretty crazy. Like no one would probably think anything about that when they're playing the game, but that is, we gotta do some crazy stuff to try to make it feel good. And and I think it's worth it because you want it to feel like snappy and your inputs are being processed as like your yeah, low like friction. You want a low friction process. You want your controls to feel like they're connected to the game, not like you don't want to feel like you're losing because of lag, right? So you minimize that by running that simulation. Running the three simulations, we're like predicting time forward. So you're just like confidently going ahead and be like, yeah, I'm I'm right about what happened. Until the server comes back, it's like actually that is not quite what happened. And then you have to go back, okay. Well, I know what was gonna happen. Like, okay, that's what really happened. I guess this is what would have happened after, and then we'll go from there. And so you still, you're constantly predicting like a fraction of a second ahead of what is actually being simulated on the server. So how do you deal with it so that the user or the player doesn't see that ball collider or the game is interrupted? Yeah, like what what you'll see in that case, say your prediction had you like just missing my ball and not hitting, but on the server it actually did hit, that will look bad because like if you predict that and rendered it, you just rendered yourself soaring past. We actually have to correct you back to where you collided and then like simulate collision and go again. What we do is we will, I mean, that will just look bad. There's no way around it, but it's usually like it's a fraction of a second still. So you can hide it like what there's you separate the rendering from the simulation of the game as well. So like when I say if the server tells you you're wrong, you rewind your simulation, like which is all under the covers, right? You don't actually like rewind what you're showing to the player. Like what you've already drawn to the screen, you can't take it back. Like that's what you already already saw, but you can rerun the simulation and then you 
run it forward again to where you're supposed to be in time. And you know where you last drew the ball. So you just kind of try to interpolate over like a few frames, the difference in the position. And it usually isn't too bad as long as it's the lag isn't, you know, really long. So that's how we do it. Oh, <laughs> you just do a little, a little. Yeah. Like it'll, it, it won't look quite right. Right. But you'll kind of like zip back maybe a little bit, but if it's a small enough correction, you won't really notice. And hopefully they're small, right? Like that, the whole game is uh, the meta game of trying to make it look good is trying to predict it as accurately as you can. Yeah. And then when it goes wrong, try to fix it with the least impact on the player. Yeah. So, and for certain like important things, like for example, in the, in our golf game, when you hit the, when you get the ball in the cup, that's pretty important to have, right? Because if you think you're first, like on your sim forward simulation, your client prediction, you go in the cup first, but I go in right after you. But actually I did my input, like my, my ball really did roll in a little bit before yours on the authoritative version on the server. We don't want to pre draw, like render your prediction of like, you know, the fanfare of you winning the hole. So we just, that's things like that that are super important. We don't render on the client until we get the server packet that says like the server confirming that you actually hit the hole first. So there's all those kind of little things to make it like a better experience online that you probably wouldn't ever think of. That is, a, it's a crazy amount of work. At least I think it is. It's a crazy <laughs> amount of work to do all that, like even just encapsulate, okay, this is what the state of the game is. You have to like pack it that package that all up into a like you have to, I guess, define all the things that are actually important to the state of the game. And make sure you have everything in there and then send that to the server and and send or I guess the server sending it down to the clients and checking it and make sure it's okay. Just, it's really hard to, I guess it's not really hard, but you have to really think hard about it um, when you're writing the game code to be able to separate that state out and be able to rewind and like re replay the game from a certain point, like when you have to do that correction. That's, it's a lot of work to do. Yeah, it's big though that you learned make it so confirm that they've won on the authoritative server first before we announce anything. Yeah. How do you cover it up for the, their wait time then? I mean, th for stuff like that, we just do nothing really. Like, so you'll see the lag there and hopefully it's small, but it's still better. Like from our perspective, it's a trade off that's better than showing you that you won and you didn't or showing you, we, it could be the other way too. Like you could show, the other player going in the hole first when in fact you did like either way it's bad. Like we just, things that are that like one or zero, like really obvious that we can't just like, we can't interpolate your, like we can with your position and like, Oh, we'll just like fudge it a little bit that way and put it where it's supposed to be. We can't do that with uh 
like one off thing like that. So we just you have to see the lag there. But you can hide it with like the design of the game too. Where like you know, it'll show like a little burst of particles out of the hole. If it's like, you know, two hundred milliseconds late, you will probably notice, but not necessarily if the game always shows it after like a little bit anyway. So, yeah, your mind your mind might just delete that 200 milliseconds over time. Yeah, or you're, you're used, used to, it. to you're used to it always being that way, and you, maybe even in single player, it's just like it's on a 0.25 second delay once your ball goes in the cup. So you're used to it, and that's actually exactly what we do when you're hitting the ball. The nice thing about golf is like you have to swing the club, so we get like free time there where we know that you press the button that said like I'm swinging this way. Like we already know the angle you're swinging the power and everything like that. And we, but your golfer like character still has to animate that swing, which is 17 frames or whatever, like quite a bit of time when you're talking about like a 60 FPS simulation. So yeah, we have, extra time like built in there that we can we have that like to get ahead we send the packet to the server right as soon as you put the input and really before you actually hit the ball nice because the animation covers up that time yeah it covers it up a little you already sent the data the animation there buys you that point that one seven yeah which should be almost a third of a second yes so you like you get time yeah you fudge it a little bit like just get a little closer to being perfect which is I mean, it's nice. Like the the fact that we get we kind of get that for free just because of the way that it's a golf game. So we have the swing, and we could make the swing animation longer if we needed to cover up more lag. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. What else, what else have you programmed that you really enjoyed? Oh, golf blitz is like my bread and butter. I I've done it. I mean, not just golf blitz, but like I worked on. So there was stick golf. I didn't work on. I didn't work on Super Stickman Golf. I worked on Super Stickman Golf two a little bit, and Super Stickman Golf three quite a bit, and then Super Stickman Golf four is actually golf blitz. There's no Super Stickman Golf four, but this is a fourth version of it. So I've worked quite a bit on stick golf games. I mean, that's where my most of my experiences, and I kind of. I do like it. <laughs> I do like it. <laughs> That's your most enjoyable. I, I, it's my most enjoyable because I've done it the most probably. And, you know, I've worked here and there on other games. Like we've, um, we've started and stopped a couple different projects that I've worked on that like one of them didn't even see the light of day. And I've worked on smaller ones. Like it's just, I think it's just the nature of games. They're not all going to work out great. So Golf Blitz is definitely the most successful one that I've worked on in our company. But I I, I really like working on just any game, and it's always exciting to work on a different game, like something new. What's something new that comes to mind? Well, right now I'm working on new stuff. You want to hear about that? Love to. So super, like I said, Super Stickman, or Stick Golf, Super Stickman Golf has been around forever, and it's in... It's kind of, and I said it's like held together with duct tape and spit. 
like kind of trying to build like a, a nice system that's easier to build on, which I have previously said is not always a good idea, but like you can't hold on to the old tech forever ever either. So what we're doing now is we're trying to move to Unity. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a very popular game engine. A lot of games these days are made in Unity or Unreal Engine. You've probably heard of Unreal you Engine. You betcha I have. Um, so it, they're competitors, right? Unity's, in my opinion, like a little bit more indie. Like it kind of started that way. It was more for indie developers. It wasn't like AAA. Now, like you can make whatever you want in it, but it's more suited to what we need. And we're used to working it because we work another part of our company work with smaller devs. And that there's a lot of Unity games that we work on as a public in a publishing, uh, Capacity. Yeah. Anyway, we're trying to move to Unity for our new first party stuff, which is where I'm at now. Uh, so we're me and one other guy, uh, one other just programmer, working on like a prototype of a game. It's just like a pirate themed uh, sailing naval battle kind of game right now, and that like that's super fun. We're just we're just playing around with it right now. Like you have a ship. And you can control the wind changes direction. You don't have to do a lot of controlling your ship, but you gotta like turn the rudder if you're gonna go left or right. And then you can shoot cannonballs. And it's like just starting. We're just starting to figure out how it could be fun to like play this. And it's obviously it's multiplayer as well. It's kind of a the direction our company is going right now. Like we're trying to make more of these like online kind of arcadey community based games. Yeah. yeah. So we're trying to like bring over that. We're trying to build some basic tools so we can build that kind of game in Unity, which is new to us. Yeah, uh, and but you want to make it so that you can add on to it later instead of just spit and duct tape it in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not trying to make it perfect. Well, Leyland, who I'm working with on, he's one of the, he definitely wants to build like our perfect architecture, and I'm kind of the one pulling back the other direction, which is great because you get some balance there from the one guy trying to make the perfect thing. And the one guy trying to just tell him like, stop writing comments and just like put it out the door. You know? <laughs> That's a good balance though. And obviously I'm more correct, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> just got to make that clear. Um, when do you decide to stop developing a game? This is part of what, like we're learning as a company right now how to do this the company really is built around stick golf and golf blitz right now from first party perspective. Like the company is much bigger than first party because we do publish a lot of games for smaller developers. But what we're trying to do with our own games is figure out the process of nailing down, like whether we, a project is worth continuing or not. And like, that's really, we're at the beginning of this. Like, this pirate sailing game is kind of the first project that we're really going to try to just like prototype for a while and then check with, you know, everyone in the company play it and see like, is it fun yet? Like what could we make this more fun somehow changing the way you sail, adding a different kind of cannonball, you know, that kind of stuff and iterate on that. So like we're trying to figure out, what you know a great a good way to figure out if we should keep going or if we should cancel it and work on something else 
previously like we have worked on other like i said we started up other projects and like worked for months year without having anything really to show with it i think that was i mean we've learned from that probably just trying to go ahead with a project and like get it 100 percent done but not not really checking in to make sure like, are we doing the right thing? Like, is this going to work? So you guys worked on a project for a year. I worked on a game we called slot quest for, I don't remember. It was a while ago now, but I'm sure it was a year of just like full on game development and, you know, adding like doing menus and UI and like world and animations and characters and like gameplay. We had everything going and like we're full production on it with four or five people. And it just, I remember having a meeting with Jordan, one of the founders way into the development of this game. And, uh, I was telling him like, well, I think we're going to like, we're, we're finding like the fun part of it. And he's like, you better know, like it's not fun yet. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, I remember that because he was so right. I I forget exactly what he said, but it was like, I said something about, we're just like trying to tweak this like game play to be, figure out how like the fun, the funnest way to make it. He's like, you should know that by now. And you know, that it's on him as well, right? It's his company, right? But he wasn't one of the people working on this game. So I think it was a failure on all parts, but that was a moment that I'll probably remember for a long time. <laughs> that fun comes first. Yeah. yeah that as maybe that should be the lesson that I've learned from gameplay programming wise. The fun definitely has to come first. And that's why I said earlier, like you finish the game and then you build everything around it. That was probably a time when we started building all the stuff around it and didn't really have a game. Yeah, you you added on all the the cool accessories before having a good foundation. Yeah, I mean, of fun. And that wasn't it was by no means done the progression and metagame stuff yet either. But we were definitely working on it without having a really like core experience that was gonna be super fun. Yeah, you probably avoided that a lot by just getting a game out the door. Usually, from your philosophy. Oh well, my experience at New Cake too. Like I. I've been working on a successful product a lot of the time. Like stick golf was already done. You know, like they, they had a fun game when I started. Right. And I've just been working on the sequels. So I haven't seen a lot of the, like you have nothing to having a full product. And Ty and Jordan are both gone from the company now. So we're in like this new phase without those guys that, you know, kind of started it and had the initial, like going from nothing to having a fun game that you can build a company on. So that's why we're in this like exploration phase and trying to figure out how we want to do. And we're a bigger company too now than we were when they started. Like it was two guys. Now we have 15 people or however many, something like that. More than two. Quite a few people. And how do you build a game where you know, everyone in the company gets their input and, you know, can't always all be working on it, but like, how do we get the value of having all these people with their different ideas and, and concepts of how to make a fun game? How can they get 
input onto what product we're prototyping and make it better and help us decide if it's like, is this thing worth building a game around and trying to make a product out of? Well, so you guys are running a problems trying to communicate with everybody. It's just something we haven't really done before, right? Like, yeah, you don't even, you're starting from ground up. Yeah, it's new. What are some elements you put into a game to make it fun? I think it has to look good on some level in order to be fun. Well, that's not like a hard and fast rule, but I think it helps a lot. Like, especially me and Leyland, uh, two of us just being programmers working on this game, you get a lot of what you call programmer art, which is usually terrible. And like, sometimes that does get in the way of the game feeling fun, you know? You like that? <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a second. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, you just need, like, if you need a button or something, like, I'm not going to bother our artist because this is just a prototype for now. It's, like, very early stages, We and we don't really have the resources to just have artists making everything for something that is really nowhere close to being a, a product yet. So you just throw stuff in there. But if it doesn't look good, it can get in the way of you seeing what's fun in the game. But I think what we're trying to do now and what I think makes a fun game is just like, you have to be able to pick it up and play it and pretty immediately have a good experience just like with the controls of whatever you're doing. Like we're working on ships right now, but if you pick pick it up and your character you doesn't do what you want, you know, it's like you're fighting with the controls. You're not really going to have fun. So make intuitive controls. I think that's really important. And it was probably one of the things that's good. Another good thing that Golf Blitz had was the buttons were responsive. I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but what it you... was a problem in, like, especially in early days of mobile games. There's a lot of people in there don't really know what you're doing, which is fine. But, like, you can make mistakes where you program a button that doesn't do the the action until you lift your finger off the screen versus when you press it down. And that makes a big impact on how it feels to play the game. Like if you're tapping something, but you know, as a user, you don't know necessarily that you have to lift your thumb off the screen before anything happens. You might feel that though, that it's not doing what you want as fit as quick. Like I tapped it, but it's like a little bit, not the time I thought it happened because you don't know that's waiting for you to lift your thumb off the screen. And there's nowhere in the documentation to tell me that. Well, like for the person programming the game? No, or, for, for the player. For, yeah, as a player, unless, like, why would you? Yeah. You, <laughs> there's, you're, no one's probably telling you that you have to do that. Yeah. In that tutorial or anything, it's just like tap the button, but you don't know that. When is it considered tapped? Is it when I touch the screen or when I let go of the screen? And it probably, in most cases for games, should be when you touch down. But... You can easily make that mistake as a programmer, as a new programmer making a game, like yeah, on the release or on the yeah. tap. And yeah, that's. I think that can be important to making it feel like you are connected to the the game. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So the way the game looks, 
you you think is a paramount importance? I do. I, I mean, it doesn't have to be triple A, but it has to be pleasing to look at. Yeah, and even during the research and development stage, you you think it'll actually it actually detracts from the gameplay if things aren't proper right away. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? But like, it can't be really bad. <laughs> it has to fit the theme it's like somewhat. Even like you can even get yourself with that. Like, I don't trust myself to know that to be able to look past a really ugly ship. Like, if there's no water, right? Like, when you're that early in development, you may not even draw the water you just have like a ship floating in the air but like if you go to play that you might not be able to look past it even if you think you're like i know it's like this isn't what it's gonna look like but you just that subconsciously you're like not feeling that there's water there it's not like this isn't really a ship i'm just like moving a 3d model around an empty space yeah so you're looking for a close enough representation of it yeah there's like some minimum amount which maybe is hard to know but you can kind of intuitively feel like i think this is super ugly and like janky looking and it just i'm not getting it can be so far off that you can't even imagine like what a good version of it would be yeah sort of i can't imagine that couch in my house yet yeah so Let's figure out the measurements of it at least and chalk it out. Yeah, like have the tape lines on the floor at least. Yeah. Like, yeah, so you don't have to do it all in your head. Or having something like completely even worse would be like a version of the couch that is totally not what you're planning on putting there at all. And it's like you're seeing that and you're not seeing anything even like the size of the couch that you're going to put there. Oh, yeah, using a picture of a truck, but it should be a a boat. Exactly. (laughs) Like you can get away with that. Like when you're programming, like it doesn't matter if it's a truck or a couch, it's a thing there and you can, it'll make it move the same. Yeah. I can like run the same code on it, but when you go to play it, it's going to feel different. Yeah. I gotcha. How do you know when you've added too much to a game? That's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I think in a mature product, the most I can talk about is golf blitz because I've worked on it so much. And I would consider that a pretty mature product. That game itself has been out since 2019, I think. And before that was a whole franchise of other games. We kind of stopped adding stuff to it at this point. And it's mainly, man, I don't know how to tell when to stop. There's more that I still want to add and and lots of people want to add. A lot of times at this point, I think you can keep evolving it, but it's a new game. Like It should be Golf Blitz too. There's kind of just, for me, it's just a function of time almost. Like Golf Blitz has been what it is for long enough that if we change it too much, it'll be something that's not really Golf Blitz. So you want to stick to the core of the game. Yeah, it has some somewhat of an identity and you can, I guess, move it too far from that and wreck it, I guess. Like, yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Well, if it's not the same game anymore and that's what they came for. Yeah. That's, that, Which, that's an interesting yeah. point. That's probably the reason sometimes sequels don't work. If it's not what people are expecting, too different. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, you can, I think you could add too much in the sense that you could just take it too far away from what it is. Yeah. What's the easiest part about your job? It's pretty low pressure, actually, the way we run it, because we don't have a lot of deadlines, usually. I've had a couple of, like, we've had one really big deadline. But other than that, like, I've worked there 10 years, and I've only really been in a crunch, or 11 years, only really had a serious crunch, like, one time, where we had a hard deadline that we couldn't push back. So that's really nice about it, like, the way we run noodle cake is we're not going to put it out unless it's done, which has always been our philosophy. And as maybe like we, there's hazards to that where you can work on a game for a year and just be like, well, it's not done, but is it fun? Oh, it's also not fun, but (laughs) we get a lot of leeway to make sure that what we're putting out there is like done. Even though I'm also saying you have to balance that with it being good enough to put out. Like, so there is that point where you have, I have to figure that out myself because I don't have a manager that's telling me I have to push an update out, you know, at the end of the month or on a certain day. It's just, we want to put these features in and they have to be good enough to put out. And, but I get to decide that. So that's nice. Like I basically don't have very many hard deadlines. Mm. But now you're making the big decisions. Well, that's like with the prototype and the, the new stuff we're doing. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And that is why we're as a company trying to come up with a process where it's not just like, you know, one or two people making the decision on whether a game is going to be worked on or not. We want to like, like right now it's only two of us working on this prototype of the pirate game, but it shouldn't be just the two of us deciding whether the game is like, are we going to keep working on it or not? You know, day to day. Yeah. Cause you guys might be biased cause you made it. Exactly. And you try not to be right. Like you don't want to be attached to it, but also you just don't see it the same way as somebody else who doesn't work on it every day. So we want to get into that process of feedback from other people in the team and like, getting everyone involved i forget what the question was <laughs> what, what, what did you ask me what's the easiest part about your job how did we get here then i'm talking about releasing new games well you were saying new that deadlines it was easy before because you have no debt it's easy because you have no deadlines yeah and we don't really have deadlines but we were trying to add them in with some like not a hard deadline but just accountability and like checking if the game is fun with everybody yeah you're trying to not and make like, the same mistake yeah and exactly and it's not it's at, it's helpful. Like you want deadlines. Deadlines are good to have to like put, you know, you know, you have to finish something. If you have no deadline, the work expands to fill the time. Exactly. So, you know, how are you balancing it then? Like I said, we're literally doing this. Like we had meetings about this this morning on how we're going to plan out these prototype things and, and like have the checks and balances of other people looking at the game. So that like, we are really just figuring it out. Um, What's something you've learned now that you're making bigger decisions? What have I learned? I don't know. It's kind of scary to be, it's like, that's, I guess what I maybe part of what I was getting at when like you want deadlines, I want other people to like, okay, this, like I'm not just the only person thinking it's good 
I want that feedback because then I know that it's not just my bias saying, you know, I'm thinking this game is good and fun and we're going to make money off of it. That's a lot of responsibility on one person is pressure, but also like it's just helpful if someone else can be like, it is actually good. So we should probably do that. Like, okay, it's not just me then. Yeah. You know? So you actually prefer more people giving you input. I'd rather have the input, especially having been in the, the situation of like not really having a lot of feedback. And like I talked about slot quest, but there was another game that I worked on almost the exact same kind of thing. So I've been there twice where I've worked on a project with not a lot of feedback coming in, you know, other than within the team, which is maybe like four or five people and been to that point where you realize it actually wasn't going to work. Like that sucks. I would much rather get there sooner. Like if you're telling me this game isn't fun, I'm not mad. I'm happy that like I'm stopping and go like we have ideas are so cheap. Like, there's so many game ideas in our company. Every like everyone has a game idea. If you tell them that you're a game developer, you're like, oh, I, I maybe not everybody, but lots of people. People have their own ideas. It's so easy to come across an idea. It's really easy to to overscope it and or just like think something's a cool idea, but you go to do it and it's not actually fun. So that lesson hits you pretty hard. Well, yeah, maybe the second time it did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. said that the first the first time was when we you know we're talking about finding the fun, and we skipped that. I guess the second game was maybe a little different. So like the finding the fun thing hit me the first time. The second time was the game we started with. I I do believe it was fun, and we did test it a little bit with other people in the company, and like we had fun playing it. So like, which is different from the first game, Slogless, which we actually never really developed to the point where anyone was playing and having fun. So the second game was called Motorball, and it was fun, but there were other problems with it. It was just the game we were trying to make around it, like the product around that like fun game was too big or like just didn't fit or was there something not right about it that we worked on for a long time. That game actually came out, but it, it didn't do didn't do well at all. So... I learned that lesson in yeah, the fun thing and then just the other kind of like the meta game around the game also is important and you can work on either one of them for a long or like work on one or the other, have one thing or the other thing that is good. But if you don't have both, you're screwed either way. And Oh, so you need the fun plus the meta game you definitely to, to work do. together. Yeah. So what's an example of a meta game thing? When I say meta game, I guess I'm just talking about so Motorball is an example of a game that was fun, but the meta game wasn't good. And the game was car soccer, like 2D top down. It was built for to be on like phone mobile mobile game, where it's just uh, we started off with two player two v two multiplayer, just like trying to get the ball in the other net. And like that was fun to play online or just like on the couch with other people. The metagame for that would be like the car, you know, the car you're driving, upgrading it and like all the stuff around, like how it looks, how you gain experience in the game, how you gain money and spend money and all the the complexity, adding some spices to this dish instead of just salt. Yeah. 
And that's also the part that we need to work for the company because the way we make money um, is generally um, not just like on the initial sale. The games are that we release, the first part of games we release are all free to play at this point. So your game, the meta game and like the skins and, and upgrades and stuff have to be compelling enough that people will spend money on the in-app purchases so that we can make money. Yeah, so you actually have to draw them in with the meta game. Yeah. Well, actually, you draw them in with the fun, and they stay for the meta game. Draw them in with the fun, and you like you build the meta game around the actual gameplay, and that like like I was saying, the menus have to be fun and feel like you're in the game because they are part of the game. Choosing the different stats on your car or golf or whatever character you have, that's part of the game. Yeah, you take criticism well, though. I hope so. <laughs> Well, you just said, I want you to tell me when it's bad. Yeah, I do. Has it always been that way? I I don't think so. I, I actually probably don't think I take criticism well. Generally, I guess I'm probably getting better, but maybe it's just because I've seen the alternative. Like, if you don't take criticism, it's not, not even that I feel like I was rejecting criticism, but, like, if you don't have any feedback, you can do the wrong thing. I would rather have feedback even if it is negative, especially early on too. It can guide you. It's easy to not take it personally when like, you know, you're whatever you're working on. Like, I know this is bad, but like, how do I make it better? And it no, I probably the longer you can think like that, the better it's going to be. It's like, I know this is bad, but how can it be better? Yeah. I so want you to tell me constantly trying to improve it. Is that yeah. this is perfect? Yeah. That's a good lesson. What's the time you haven't taken criticism well? Uh, I've drawn a blank. Oh, really? <laughs> so you probably should ask somebody that I work with. Mm. Well, because or my wife. <laughs> so you work on something, and you you're so into it, but then somebody tells you, "Hey, this isn't going to work," and that's never happened. That I could, I am thinking of a situation now, but it was more. It was actually, well, it was a back and forth where like it was a disagreement on what would work, basically. With Jordan, our CEO at the time. I don't know if this is a good example of me not taking criticism. I guess it was me not taking, he was right in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, probably I, I was telling him he was wrong, but he was right. And he was telling me that I was wrong, but he did tell me to, he didn't tell me to stop what I was like, what we were disagreeing on was the, um, this was for golf blitz, actually the skill calculation. There's like a skill rating that we use to match players on how good you are. Cause it's competitive. So we match with people that are relatively close to you in skill level. And the way we calculate that is just how often you win against people, essentially. Um, it's ELO. They use it in chess. You Have you heard of this ELO? No. It's not that important, but like there's, you just kind of use a mathematical formula. You get assigned a number, like you'll start at like 1,000, right? Your skill rating is 1,000. And depending on whether you win games or lose games, that number will go up or down. So the better you are, the higher your ELO. That works great if there's like a level playing field for everybody. Um, in chess, like if 
everyone has the same pieces and like it's all equal except for like just you and your opponent the differences between how you play the game that's kind of the idea of this skill rating we're doing it in golf blitz for the ladder and but the difference is golf blitz has player levels and you get more powerful as you go up and down right so like you actually you have a real advantage if you're a high level player that's where we disagreed me and jordan i told him that we should account for that player level difference when we're like doing skill rating calculations and he said that it's not gonna work to do that because well i didn't understand why he said that because to me and maybe to you it seems obvious that like well yeah you should be able to factor that level in somehow when you're matching people because like somebody 50 levels higher than you is obviously gonna have a huge advantage in the end he was right because it'll get rolled into them if you have an advantage that advantage will show in your score you'll win more and your score will go up and like we'll get separated by the fact that you're winning more whether it's because you're better than me or because you have a better golfer stat anyway so he was he knew that all along and i was trying to tell him that we got a match on level because like people are not gonna like it and well they don't like it but <laughs> i was right about people not liking it but i was wrong about there's not really a good way to incorporate it so yeah because it self-regulates itself the better you get the more you win and the more you win you don't even have to put in that extra calculation of the level yeah it gets like everything rolls into that your skill rating is a combination of how good you play the game and what level your golfer is which is maybe not the best but like there's no i can't think of a better way around it yeah it it sorts itself out then It does, and that's what the conclusion I came to. But yeah, Jordan and I butted heads about that for a, a couple of weeks, and I like spent time on like trying to do different algorithms of how we could take player level into account. And like, I had some ideas. I don't even remember what they were. And in the end, I was like, actually, this is <laughs> like it is rolled in. <laughs> you got Dude, stubborn. You dug yeah. in your heels. And yeah. what, what was the point where you realized, damn, I'm wrong? I I don't remember it that clearly. I do remember writing code and running some like simulations of you know how this level will this level player and this level player will calculate out, you know, debate like who won like just running a script that would simulate a bunch of different matchups and see how it would go and realizing like looking at the numbers that there's no good way to well yeah this is the point <laughs> you so we like i said we use the skill rating to do the matchmaking so i just like i ran the simulations i guess that wasn't the point where i realized it was stupid because i went ahead and changed the matchmaker like for testing i changed it to start taking into account player level and i think i was like in the middle of coding that when i realized that your skill level is going to change when you win anyway. Like whatever level you are, you, like I said, it's rolled into the skill rating. Adding this extra stuff around it wasn't really going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and you took responsibility right away? I told him, I think I told him he was right. I don't know. I stopped working on it, right? I realized I was wrong and I just went and worked on something else. I didn't go like uh, kiss his ring or anything. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but, but like I, I didn't uh, pretend that I was right anymore. I, <laughs> nice. And I have, and I like basically just switched sides, right? Like, 
anytime somebody come to me about matchmaking stuff after that, I'm like, no, you're wrong. Like I fought with Jordan about this for two weeks. Yeah. And uh, he's right. I have 14 days of experience yeah. on this. All right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot when you're talking. About- it is. It's a lot of time because you can be stewing on it and it'll build. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, should we call it? Sure.